Hello and welcome. This is Perspective for Parents. My name is Nick Thompson, and this is a podcast for parents of adolescents. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. Most reactions are overreactions. I share this belief of mine with parents quite often, but when I do, I'm usually referring to how a parent reacts in the moment to their child, like when their child does something that angers them or concerns them. But today, I'm not going to be talking about in-the-moment reactivity, but instead, talk about this idea of most reactions being overreactions as a way to look at the overall parenting styles that many parents adopt throughout their child's life, especially during those periods of childhood and adolescence. And these overreactions, in my opinion, are often a result of how the parent was parented while they were growing up. I like to call this the parental pendulum. One of the definitions of pendulum is something that tends to move from one position or condition to the opposite extreme. And I see this quite frequently when people adopt a particular parenting style. To explain a bit, story time. I have this friend of mine. He's a dad. And when he was in school, he played a sport every season. And he was really good at sports. But his dad never went to one of his games. Not a one. Obviously, this is awful, hurtful, neglectful. So this guy, my buddy, when he had kids of his own, he vowed to not be like his dad. He was going to be different. He was going to make sure that he was involved in the lives of his kids, their schooling, their activities. And he was definitely going to be there. He would be involved when they started to play sports. And let me just say this. As his kids are now older and playing sports, I can attest to the fact that my buddy, this guy, this dad, has kept his promise to be involved. But the thing is, he wasn't just involved. He was over-involved. And he'd tell you the same. And a quick just so you know, if you're thinking, some friend I must be, to be bad-mouthing a friend of mine, especially on his parenting, just so you know, he gave me permission to talk about him and even asked, requested that I use him as an example because he is now working to be appropriately involved in the lives of his kids. Okay, but back to his previous um, extreme and unhelpful involvement. Remember how I said his dad never made it to a game? Well, this dad made it to every game, home and away, which is great. But his involvement didn't end with just being in the stands to cheer his kids on. No, he would arrive at the sporting venue before the team did, often needing to find a a school staff member to let him into the school. But I mean, come on, that's great too, right? He's excited. What's wrong with being early? I hear you, but it doesn't end there. He went to every practice. Not only that, he video recorded every single practice. The practices, not the games. But I mean, he did, he did, of course, record the games, but that wasn't enough. He also needed to record every practice so that he could review them. And then once he had downloaded, jotted down all his practice notes, he would then do a little film session with his kids at the end of each week to go over what he noticed after breaking down that film. And it doesn't stop there. He would ask to be an assistant coach on every single one of his child's teams. 
And if he wasn't granted an official coaching position, he would request, uh, that's not the right word, he would demand that he be allowed to be a volunteer assistant coach. Additionally, after games, he would be sure to call his kids' coaches after dinner. On these calls, this is where he would uh, share his thoughts about how his kid wasn't getting enough playing time and or some advice about how the coach could most effectively utilize his child's athletic gifts. At the games, he would consistently argue with the refs. And on a cold and snowy Saturday afternoon last February, during one of his kids' basketball games, he went out onto the court a little bit and gave an earful to the ref. This is when the ref blew his whistle, stopped play, and kicked him out of the game. Yep, he got chucked from his daughter's fourth grade basketball tournament. Not just chucked from the game. No, the referees huddled and decided that he was not allowed to be in attendance at the tournament altogether. Couldn't be in the gym, in the building, for the rest of the game and the rest of the tournament. So he was forced to leave the gym. And when he got into his car in the parking lot, he quickly texted his wife, who had not been ejected from the gym. So he, so he texted her and asked her to FaceTime him so he could watch the game from his car. She texted back, telling him that she would not and that their daughter was still crying, head in hands, while sitting at the end of the bench. And after he saw his wife's text, he sat there alone in his car as the snow came down. And that, that was the moment he realized that he needed to change. He had to turn down his level of involvement, turn down the over-identification with his kids and their athletic endeavors. After that, he and I had a conversation and he talked about how awful he felt, truly awful for his kid, his wife, and all those involved. And he said that he was going to stop all of it to the point where he decided that he wasn't even going to go to his kids' games anymore to avoid anything like that ever happening again. When he told me that, I said, not go to the games? Isn't that what your dad did? So then we went on to talk about how no involvement wasn't a good idea, but that instead he had to figure out and then become the appropriately involved dad that he always wanted to be. So we had a conversation about what level of involvement was proper, useful, healthy for his kids, his wife, and himself. Okay, so I wanted to share that story to point out the parental pendulum swing that can so often occur with many parents. His dad wasn't involved at all, so he decided it'd be best to be over-involved. When he realized how detrimental that was to his kids, initially, he went too far in the other direction and entertained the idea that having no involvement would be best. When emotions are involved, emotions about your parents and emotions about your kids, when those emotions come together, when they mix, boy, does that pendulum swing. The thing is, it isn't about doing the opposite of what your parents did unless we're talking about abuse. If that's the case, yeah, please do the opposite of that, meaning no abuse. But other than that, the opposite of your parents' parenting style is usually not what's best for your kids. 
It has been said by many that the parents of today are over-involved, but the overs don't end there. Today's parents are also described as being overprotective and their kids as being overindulged. And I see all of these overs, at least in part, due to the parental reaction or overreaction to how the parent was raised. And I say in part with intention, because I want to be clear that the issues or problems that young people are experiencing, they're not always or entirely a result of their parenting. And I'm not even trying to say that your parenting style is absolutely due to an overcorrection of the way you were raised. Additionally, I realize and want to be sure to communicate that yes, our greater society, including our schools and social media, these things have had a huge impact on our youth. All I'm asking is that parents consider how much of their parental overs, if they have any of them, could be, maybe, a result of what I'm referring to as the parental pendulum. I encourage parents who acknowledge that they are doing one or more of these overs, these overs of parenting, I encourage you to take time today to think about, could these overs be motivated by an under or absence that you experienced while growing up? Were you underappreciated by your parents? Were they absent? Did they refuse to be involved with your schooling, your interests, activities, your passions? Were they neglectful? Did they fail at protecting you and making you feel safe? Could it be that their love languages were limited to providing a roof over your head and putting food on the table? If you can relate to any of those, I hope you will be open to considering if your own personal parental pendulum has gone a little too far in the opposite direction. Okay, so on the topic of overprotection, and this is a big one, on this one, Parents who overprotect their child are sometimes called helicopter parents or bulldozer parents, with the difference between those two being that helicopter parents sort of uh, hover above their kids, you know, keeping a very close eye on them, their grades, their activities, their whereabouts. But a bulldozer parent is different in that they're more like, you know, not only am I going to keep a close eye on you, You can be sure I'll do that, but I don't think that's going to be enough. I think I need to take this next level. That next level being, I'm not going to wait to intervene until something actually goes wrong. No, no. I'm going to intervene prior to there being an issue. Yeah, I'm going to remove any and all obstacles that could possibly get in my child's way before they even encounter them. So while these are different, Both these styles stem from a perceived need to overprotect your child. And on the topic of overprotection, here is an audio snippet taken from a Big Think interview with Jonathan Haidt. He is an American social psychologist and author, and he wrote the great book titled The Coddling of the American Mind. A link for the full interview will be in the show notes. American parenting really changed in the 1990s. When I'm talking about the book, I go around the country, I ask audiences, at what age were you let out? At what age could you go outside and play with your friends with no adult supervising? And I say, only people over 40. What's your answer? Call it out. And it's five, seven, eight, six, five, seven. It's always five to eight. That's what we always did. Between five and eight, kids could go outside without an adult. 
they'd get in arguments, they would, they would play games, they would make rules. Um, they were independent. They got years and years of practicing independence. Then I say, just people under 25, what year were you let out? 12, 14, 13, 16. Nobody says 10 or younger. In the 1990s, as the crime rate was plummeting, as American life was getting safer and safer, Americans freaked out and thought that if they take their eyes off their children, the children will be abducted. Now this goes back, the fear was stoked by cable TV in the 1980s, there were a few high profile abductions. But it's not until the 1990s that we really start locking kids up and saying you cannot be outside until you're 14 or 15. We took this essential period of childhood from about eight to 12 when kids throughout history have practiced independence, have gotten into adventures, have made rafts and floated down the Mississippi River. We took that period and said, you don't get to practice independence until it's too late, until that period is over. Now, a couple years before you go to college, now you can go outside, oh, okay, go off to college, and a lot of them are not ready. When we overprotect our youth, when we don't allow them to practice being independent, this can be seen as a slight or significant advantage for them in the moment. But it's highly likely that overprotecting your child, this will turn into a disadvantage, a disadvantage for them in the long run. I like to say, our kids are safe, but many of them are not sound, not sound of mind or sound in their sense of feeling safe and secure. And the research backs this up. Studies show that youth who have overprotective parents, these young people on average have more health problems, more emotional problems, are more likely to rely on medication and struggle to develop self-regulation skills. Now, if you're listening to this and thinking that I'm exaggerating, maybe overstating this issue, or even more than that, maybe you think I'm just entirely full of it, and you're sitting there saying, where's the proof? I mean, come on, provide the research, pal. To that, I say thank you and will do. Here are four research studies backing what I said. And a link for where I found this research will be in the show notes. Okay, so a study done at Florida State University in 2016 found that the kids of helicopter parents are more likely to have health issues during adulthood. This study found that most helicopter kids never learned to take care of their own physical wellness because their parents were the ones who were always reminding them when they needed to go to bed, when they should exercise, and the ones telling them what they should eat. Okay, next. In 2013, the University of Mary Washington in Virginia did a study on students raised by overprotective parents. What they found is that these students were more likely to be depressed. And not surprisingly, they reported having less life satisfaction. Next study, done by the University of Tennessee in 2011. This study found that college students who had overprotective parents were much more likely to take medication for anxiety and depression. And not just that, these students were also more likely to take pain pills recreationally. And last but certainly not least, out of the University of Colorado. Let's go, buffs. Okay, sorry about that. But okay, they see you did a study in 2014, and it showed that adults who had overprotective parents were less likely to have the self-regulation skills needed to succeed in life. All right, so there's some research that backs up these claims. 
I hope that helps to see how overprotection can result in a lot of anxiety, possibly depression, and how it can be a significant hindrance to a young person's physical, intellectual, and emotional well-being. And this overprotection for parents is way more common than you may think. A little more research for you. Two-thirds of parents say that they can be overprotective. 54% of parents report that a parent can never be too involved with their child's education. Found that one interesting. Next, 43% of parents in America admit to doing their child's homework for them. And I found this interesting. More fathers, 47%, than mothers, 39%, admit to doing their kids' homework. And get this, some stats from college job recruiters. A study showed that 30% of them have had a parent submit their child's resume. Also, 12% of these job recruiters report that they have had a parent of a college student be the one who schedules an interview. Not only that, 15% of them report receiving complaints from parents when their child wasn't hired. And when it comes to young people and driving, here's some data from 2018. This data shows that only a quarter of 16-year-olds had their driver's license. And only 61% of 18-year-olds had gotten their driver's license. Next topic, young people living with their parents. A study from Pew Research showed that for the first time in over 130 years, 18 to 34-year-old Americans are more likely to live with their parents than in any other living situation. And specifically on that one, I do realize there are several other reasons, some of them being very good reasons, why young people are living at home longer than ever. I wanted to get that in there. But I do think it would be naive to think that the overprotection of young people isn't a significant contributor. Okay, in addition to more parents being overprotective, earlier on, I mentioned how many parents are overindulgent when it comes to their kids. This can be described as permissive parenting, but whatever you want to call it, it is a style of parenting that is characterized by giving too much, over-nurturing, and not providing enough structure or accountability. If you as a parent feel like you give your kid whatever they want, I mean, you really fulfill each and every need of theirs. But even though you are so responsive with your generosity, even though that's the case, your child seems to be, remain entitled or stubborn. And maybe they even behave in a way that could best be described as uh, throwing a tantrum when they don't get exactly what they want when they want it. If any of that's the case, it could be a result of overindulgent parenting. Maybe the most recognizable example of this, which I admit is an over-the-top version of this, well, it comes from a character known as Veruca Salt. If that name doesn't ring a bell, I'm confident most of you will know exactly who I'm talking about once you hear her voice. Hey, Daddy, I want a golden goose. Here we go again. All right, sweetheart, all right. Daddy will get you a golden goose as soon as we get home. No, I want one of those. Bunker, how much do you want for the golden goose? They're not for sale. Name your price. She can't have one. Who says I can't? The man with a funny hat. I want one. I want a golden goose. So, while Veruca 
is an extreme example of what can happen when a parent is overindulgent. And while I haven't yet found any research indicating that overindulgent parenting can actually result in your child being, you know, judged by a machine as a bad egg, which of course then turns into the child disappearing down a garbage chute. I haven't found that yet. And until I do, I'll just share this. Studies show that children of overindulgent parents are more likely to have low self-esteem, experience insecurity and anxiety in adulthood, have difficulty making and maintaining healthy relationships, they're more likely to struggle with impulse control, have difficulty with delaying gratification, on average perform worse academically, struggle with self-reliance, and are more prone to behavioral issues throughout their life. Delinquency and substance abuse, just to name a few. In researching this topic of overindulgent parenting, I found some data that I think helps to demonstrate some surprising but common ways that this overindulgent parenting style can be seen. So, a recent study found that more than half of parents report that they get everything on their kids' holiday wish list, no matter what that cost may be. Also, teenagers on average spend around $10,000 a year. That's called a stack of high society in the poker world. Yeah, I've seen the movie Rounders quite a few times. Back to the research. And of that 10 grand, you may have guessed it, the majority of it comes from the teenager's parents. And on this topic of stacks of high society, 62% of youth report that they expect their parents to entirely pay for whatever college they would like to attend. All of it. And not just that. After your child finishes college, but likely not after you're done paying for it, maybe your child decides it's time to get married and to have that dream wedding. So about that, a study done last year showed that the average cost of a wedding is $34,000. But I mean, come on. You can't expect your child and their future spouse to put a price tag on such a special day. Especially when the research shows that nearly half of those lovebirds, well, they've handed off the wedding payments entirely to their parents. All right, I'll stop with all the statistics and research. But I shared all that. I provided all of that. Just in case there are any parents listening to this who may choose to minimize or deny altogether the harm that can be done to a child when parents overprotect or overindulge their child. And a close, I want to say to any parent who has realized or is currently realizing that they have been parenting in an overprotective or overindulgent way, I want to say this to you. Know that it comes from a place and a space of loving your child. But just because that's the case, it doesn't mean that it's helping your child. I like to describe it as a parent having good intentions, but using poor interventions. And I also want to say that it's, it's never too late to consider and to create a more appropriate, a more healthy, a more helpful parenting style that will help your child, help them to become the responsible, the compassionate and capable person that you've always hoped they would become. And to finish this episode, the words of Julie Lifecott Hames, author, speaker, and parent. Kids have to be able to make their own mistakes growing up. 
Life is about having confidence that if you took the wrong path, you can get on the right path. That if you fall down, you can get back up. You know, the moment they learn to walk, they're walking away from us. And it feels terrifying. But as paradoxical as it may sound, our job as parents is, like it or not, to put ourselves out of a job. Thank you for listening. If you found this podcast useful, please subscribe, rate, review, and share with a friend. If you would like to find more information about this podcast or my upcoming presentations, please check out my website, perspectiveforparents.com. Spelled out, that's perspective, the number four, parents.com. Thanks again. Thanks again.